Hello, 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 guys! Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia coming to you on yet another weekend. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone! Um, uh, we had a sort of strange. We usually take the last couple of weeks off uh, in the year, but um, and so we had recorded one right before Christmas, and then New Year's happened to be on a Sunday as well. So here we are, wishing you a very late Happy New Year, seven days later. But hope everybody has been having a wonderful uh, New Year and stuff. And it's we're doing a continuation of two podcasts so one the last podcast that we did my at mind makers which was a wrap up of 2022 where we talked about everything that shaped the world in 2022 and i also did a podcast on my guest's uh, channel uh, which will be uploaded on his channel soon and and it is a part 2 of that podcast as well so uh, b- without further ado let me welcome my guest today on mind podcast it's anang mittal um, anang has been a columnist a fellow podcast caster uh, has uh, has written about various issues on the indo american side has been a consultant on the political side on the american spectrum and on the media side as well so he's donned various hats and he's here to talk to us about um you know things that we enjoy talking about politics but from an indo american perspective what is happening here and then we'll also talk a little bit about india so the first part of the podcast was about india and what happened in india in 2022 the second part of the podcast is what happened to america in 2022 and then we'll sort of wrap up both the podcasts in this one so welcome to mind podcast sir thank you for having me adit bhai really it's a pleasure to be here and i think as i mentioned before we've been talking for so long so it's great to yeah. finally get together and finally yes yeah it took, took us only 5 years i hope our next yeah. meet after this is for is, sure for sure shorter um uh, but you know to kick things off arang i think we can we can both that we can both agree that 2022 was a very remarkable year for american politics because um american politics it was wondering that where is this going right are we going into a tr- the trumpian era with the republican party on the democratic side is biden still holding the straw you know the old center of left guard or is it going towards the you know the squad or the far left in the democratic party and it seems like the both the wings of the party are in conflict with the more moderate wings of the party or the more establishment wings of the parties for want of a better word right and that sort of continued yet you saw midterm election which gave out a remarkably centrist result if i may say where the republicans held the control of the house the democrats held the control of the senate and people actually voted split party like in georgia uh, governor kemp won with a remarkable margin but the um, walker who was endorsed by uh, donald trump struggled to win and eventually lost yeah it's it's actually been a very interesting year as far as american politics goes because what you have is uh basically you know the the predictions of the giant red wave the predictions of a massive republican victory myself included i made those predictions uh and you can go on my youtube channel and see stuff from summer of 2022 uh but yeah abs- that red wave did not materialize and uh is essentially uh the american public uh confirmed their trust so to speak in joe biden and and basically said to the republicans that we don't trust you enough to govern to give you full power and this has actually been the seesaw this kind of back and forth has been uh, a constant since i would say since the the last years of the bush presidency uh because every time i think the iraq war kind of skewed elections back back in the day uh but i think right now what we what we're seeing since the 2008 election is essentially the american people realizing uh because of the obamacare because of the iraq war these two the financial crisis these three 
and not just that 9-11, uh, I think the American people have basically realized that there's no use in giving singular power to one single party. Um, and that's what we've been seeing back and forth, back and forth. So uh, President Obama gets elected in 2008, um, almost 12 years ago. Uh, he loses the House in 2010, then loses the Senate in 2014, then Trump wins in 2017, uh, 2016, and then two years later, again, Trump loses in 2018. And so there's been this back and forth because I think the American public, if you, if you can, uh, if we can say that the American public as a whole uh, sort of leans in the middle, right? So it's a lot of independence and a few partisans on both sides. Then what's happened essentially is that corrective uh, again, but not too much of a corrective so that the Republicans aren't just, you know, undoing everything Joe Biden has done. But then Joe Biden is also was only given two years to undo everything that the Republicans had done for the last, um, you know, for the last six years. Um, and so that's that's basically what's happened. And, and I think it's kind of a I think this is something that Republicans especially need to come to terms with, which is that they do not have the trust of the American people currently. And so going into 2024, I don't think they're going to be able to turn things around in two years. And we can talk more about that, obviously, in terms of what's going to happen. Hmm. Fascinating. So, so then let's 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 look at a little, uh, uh, little go in a little deeper with uh, basically with the whole scenario, right? Um, can we say that Donald Trump in the Republican establishment has taken a backseat now? officially that now i don't think the republicans are ready to take on donald trump but clearly like i don't think he has the same influence he did two years three years ago yeah no that's that's absolutely true he after the the midterm uh vic, the midterm mm. victory the so-called victory the sort of pyrrhic victory he uh, announced his campaign for the 2024 presidency which i think it's going to be a very much a long shot he's he's most likely going to be the the lead in terms of the primary race for 2024 uh, but it still remains to be seen because nobody else has announced their for president yet on the Republican side, at least. Um, and I think the 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 long and short of it is that Donald Trump is still the nominal head of the Republican Party. You just former president. He's only been out of power for the last you know three three years. So in that sense, right in the sense of like there's no leader who has stepped forward so far uh, th that he is still the leader of the Republican Party. But it's very obvious that many many figures in the Republican Party basically no no longer want anything to do with him. Um, and I think that we're kind of in this, uh, uh, you know, knife's edge right now, trying to see where where things will fall. Uh, I, th I think most likely uh, people are hoping that a figure rises from the Republican Party. So Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, or somebody else charismatic who will supplant Donald Trump um, and be able to give Republicans a victory. But it's still hard to say right now. Sorry, you're muted. Sorry, what was interesting was that um, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump started taking on Ron DeSantis in comments, right? So uh, there is a there is a there is a there is a slogan, and I forget what that slogan is, but essentially they say that if you don't want someone to be your opponent, the thumb rule is you never take on them, right? Publicly, yes. because now whether we like it or not, he's elevated him as as his number one competition. Yes, by calling somebody out, then you are essentially marking them as your your rival, your nemesis. And so that's kind of what's happening right now, where uh, Governor DeSantis has taken great care to not take any uh, comments, make any comments about Donald Trump. And has his inauguration just happened a few days ago. He, uh, you know, it's very friendly with all the conservatives, many figures who are in the Trump camp. He's friendly with them. Many figures in the mm -hmm. wider Republican Party. He's, he's friendly with them. He's shown mm -hmm. himself to be... Uh, I wouldn't say a charismatic leader, but I think he's shown himself to be a very effective leader. I think in the wake mm -hmm. of COVID, uh, people have 
recognize that DeSantis's leadership of Florida has, you know, brought people to Florida. People are moving to Florida. Florida seems to be more of a dynamic state right now, much, Fair. much in the way that Texas was back in the day. It still is, I would say. And so that's yeah, but why I mean, people are looking at DeSantis as maybe this guy should run for president. And younger leadership, right? It, it always Absolutely. sort of uh, matters. Yeah, and he presents like... that presidential figure. He will, you know, he, unlike Donald Trump, he will take uh, on the media, but he does not get into the dirt with the media. He's not, you know, tweeting sort of nasty things about the media. But if the media mm -hmm. tries to, you know, put out lies about him, he will fight back. And that's kind of what people are looking for is somebody who's not tweeting like Donald Trump, somebody who's not as, you know, down in the dirt like Donald Trump. Um, and but somebody who can still present that presidential sort of, you know, above it all leadership statesmanlike feel. And that's what they're mm -hmm. getting from from DeSantis. Again, maybe from afar right now, it remains to be seen what his uh, prospects will be like if he gets into the debate stage. Once he, once he gets into mm -hmm. the primary stage, whether people will actually vote for him. But mm -hmm. it's as far as the wider party, most Republicans who are sort of not um, they're not worshiping Trump. The Republicans who aren't worshiping Trump are looking to, to Ron DeSantis as the the next great hope. It's interesting, right? It's interesting that how things have changed uh, within the... But let's go from the Republicans to the Democrats, right? The Democrats have stopped behaving like they're the party in power. Yes. They, 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 so there is Biden who wants to believe that he's the party in power. And then there is the far left Democrats that they, they are trying to basically become activists within their own establishment. And yeah, this is the typical uh, <clears throat> Democrat mode, um, you know, the famous Simpsons uh, joke about the Democratic Party motto being we hate ourselves and we don't know how to govern. Um, and yeah. so this is this is but this is funny because these are similar accusations are also flying across the Republican side. So this is this is usually what happens when you're in power. Is that no, this, this is that famous monologue, right, that Will McAvoy has in the first season of Newsroom, that where, where he's asked the left and the liberal, uh, left and the right, they're saying about freedom, what makes America great, freedom and freedom. And then the other guy says, like, if liberals are so awesome, why do they keep losing every time? And, right. then, and, and then he turns around to the right and is like, with a straight face, you're going to say America is the only country that has freedom when 165 out of 200 countries have freedom. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's the exceptionalism has taken sort of a weird sort of turn and as someone who's you know i i i, I always make this joke um, and I'm, so I, I moved here in 2007 in 2007 when you talk to people liberals right in 2007 when letterman was ruling the roost on the waves and you know uh jay leno was dick cheney was darth vader right that's yeah. how they talked about right yeah now Dick Cheney's daughter is the person taking on the Republican establishment. I mean, yeah. that's how far we've come in 15 years. And yeah, the Democrats are applauding her. Yeah. This is how quickly things change. And this is, these are, see, the thing in, yeah. in Indian politics, what we see in Indian politics is, you know, uh, one day you're with the Congress party and the next day you're getting a ticket on the BJP party. So people Correct. switch people switch parties very quickly in, in India and it's it's understood. You know, people who are previously hating a figure will say, okay, well, you know, he's coming over yeah. now. We need him. May, we'll vote for him. Here what but, happens is the parties are so strong that hmm. that that people can't really switch parties. But then that's this is why the the, the people always in, in, uh, in the Democrat party and the Republican party will say, you know, well, this is the party of Reagan or this is the party of JFK, right? They hearken mm -hmm. back to figures. And so that way they focus on the values more here. Uh, whereas in India, the grab for power is a lot more uh, naked. Whereas in America, you have to justify why you're changing your stance. So I think with, with you know, people like figures like um, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinziger and some of these Republicans who have 
been alienated by Trump, it's really hard for them to stay in the party, but it's really hard for them to also switch parties and get a ticket mm-hmm. on the Democrat party. Yeah. So what is what is interesting is in India, you the people who switch would be local MPs and stuff like that. Yes. Like you would never have Yogi Adityanath or his protege suddenly go over to the Congress, at least not that I think, or, you know, vice versa, like uh, Jairam Ramesh suddenly go to the BJ. I mean, I'm just throwing out examples, right? People right. are very close to the Congress establishment and close to the, which is not to say it can't happen. You know, Chidambaram also switched parties. Manishankar Ayer was once with Mamta Banerjee. It happens, but it's more it's it's more likely to see at local MP levels and stuff because that is also to say that at heart a lot of issues that divide the parties in the center in Delhi or Washington DC they are not that divisive as local issues. So that is why it's easier for them to switch from this to this because they can do it on basis of issues, right? So that is. That is there. But then where do you see the whole squad situation within the Democrats and stuff? Do you see after Biden, the Democratic Party essentially headed for a vertical split? Or no? uh, it depends. So what what Joe Biden basically <coughs> did was he presented mm-hmm. the most presentable face of the Democrat mm-hmm. Party to the American public during the COVID era, during this era when people thought and believed that you know President Trump wasn't handling the crisis as well as he could have. Um, and so Joe Biden probably was the only person who could have beaten Donald Trump because he was the most acceptable to American to the American mm-hmm. public? As sad as that sounds, because he seems to be, you know, uh, he's very aged. He's 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 as old as Trump, I think, older. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the what's happened is that Joe Biden, again, if you talk to people in D.C., they'll say, "Well, mm-hmm. back in the day, he would have. He used to be very pragmatic. He used to be very, you know, smart about things." And uh, that's why some of the the far left has, um, you know, criticized him for his crime bill and things like that before yeah. he ran for president. But I think ultimately it comes down to the quest for power. So the Democrats, they're the far left, the progressives, they all held their nose because their goal was to defeat Donald Trump. Now that mm-hmm. Donald Trump is back in the news again, that's all this January 6th stuff, the investigations, the Mar-a-Lago raid. So as long as Donald Trump stays in the news, as long as this you know nasty, yeah. satanic figure almost for that party remains <laughs> in the news, they will co- they will be cohesive unit. Because they can say we are fighting against the, you know, the absolute worst person that we ever know. That's um, right. And so that is their guiding motive. Uh, and that's where so I have to will... tell you, I have to tell you this very funny thing. Um, I was um, we were talking, I was talking to someone and uh, you know what you said, you know, about the, I was talking to someone in California and they uh, with a straight face, they told me, what is the difference between Joe Biden and the Republicans? And I'm like, my God, I was like, I agree that Joe Biden is not completely to the left. But you can't tell me with a straight face that you think there is no difference between a Trump-related Republican Party and a Joe Biden. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with one or two. There is a remarkable difference. But America is split into such pockets, right? So I I am guaranteeing you if I go to some very far-right conservative in Texas, they are going to tell me about the same thing about some centrist Republican and a yeah. uh, maybe about John Kasich. He's like, oh, John Kasich endorsed Biden for president. So what is the difference between John Kasich and AOC, right? Which is, I mean, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. So, uh, but so that's how this that's is actually, how the, yeah. So, so it's a good point that you make. And this is actually something that we're currently dealing with, even in the Senate with my former mm-hmm. boss, Mitch McConnell, uh, because yeah. now what's happened is that there's a lot of people in the Republican Party who, after the loss of, of November elections, mm-hmm. have basically turned on their own. So this is what you were talking about, even with the squad turning on the Democrat Party. The right. Republicans are showing that that happening now where they are turning on their own. They're turning on the leadership. They're saying, well, Mitch McConnell is, to, is at fault. Paul Ryan is at fault. 
Um, and that's that's the that's the real issue right here, which is that right. we, things have devolved. Paul and, Ryan. Oh, people have forgotten yeah. Paul Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So the split is now currently in the Republican Party, at least between the so-called establishment figures uh, and the yeah. so-called base figures. And so the same uh-huh. split is there in the Democrats, but in the Democrats, they have the, the their leaders are able to rally them together a lot more, a lot better mm-hmm. than the the Republican Party, which is a lot more freedom, has a lot more divisiveness because of that. Uh, and so that's what's happening is because of that loss, basically everybody mm-hmm. turned around and said, "Well, it's not really our fault. It's not that we weren't voted out, or it's not that the mm-hmm. the rebuke was on us. The default, the real fault, is with the people." With the money, the people in power, the people who are in the establishment, and so they they need to be kicked out, and that's why you're seeing all the drama and the mess in the house currently, because that's where mm. they thought they have a chance to to take down somebody from that they consider to be from the establishment. And <laughs> that's been brewing for the last ten years, and uh, mm-hmm. quite honestly, until until we get somebody who is a unifying figure, and this is where again the 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 hard right Republicans need to understand this. Donald Trump was not a unifying figure. He cast people out. There's no reason for Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and some of these Republicans to not be in the big tent, right? This is the the Ronald Reagan party was the party of the big tent Republicans. Everybody's Absolutely. together. Everybody's uh, going forward. And that, that unity is not there anymore. Hmm. And until that unity... Uh, comes back, we are going to keep losing elections. Um, I, I might actually be writing an op-ed on this. I think most likely we are headed for another defeat in 2024. You think so? Wow. I think so, That's yeah. The... I, I think in two years, so basically, the, the I'll give you a preview of the next two years. Uh, Leader McCarthy has now mm. become Speaker McCarthy. That's fine. Mm. So for the next two years, essentially in the House, what we're going to get, because the Republicans <coughs> don't have a majority in the Senate, uh, in the House, what you're going to get is a lot of investigations. They're going to try to call in Hillary Clinton, Hunter Biden, it, uh, they're going to try to relitigate the 2020 election. They're going to try to relitigate COVID-19, Dr. Fauci, big tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, some of these things I get, I understand they're important issues. They should be Correct. talked about. But what's going to happen is much like when they tried to call in Hillary Clinton in 2016 and 2015, uh, it's going to be a nothing burger. It's going to be a lot of infighting. It's going to be a lot of, you know, this person isn't doing enough. That person isn't doing enough. And no progress is going to get made. So can I ask you something, uh, Anang? Because uh, to a lot of our viewers in India and uh, who are not in US or attuned to US politics, they don't understand what the drama of what happened in the last five, four days, right? Why yeah. were there 15 votes to get speaker, right? India, mein, there is another problem. Votes, it is unanimous yeah. consent always. Like, yeah. We try to have votes, but then it's unanimous consent or we have shams like the Congress presidential election. Uh, so yeah. so Just to, can you... Just to give a, what what happened? Yeah, yeah. Just to give a one hundred and one class on the United States Constitution and the the system. And, of and one 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 heads up. I'm not yeah. saying that India has presidential election. I'm talking Both about there. internal yeah. party, internal yes, party. Votes. Internal, yes. So just yeah, just to give people some idea of of what's going on and sort of go, you have to go back to the Constitution. So in the U.S. Constitution, there are four constitutionally named offices in the Constitution. Uh, everything okay. else sort of is separate. So you have the president. You have the vice mm-hmm. president, you have the president pro tem of the Senate, uh, and mm-hmm. then you have the Speaker of the House. So Speaker of the House mm-hmm. is literally a constitutionally designated office. The Speaker of the House is the person who holds the majority in the House of Representatives, whichever party holds that majority. Mm-hmm. But uh, un- so basically, the Speaker of the House, once a party gets into the majority in the election, the Congress is sworn in, uh, the people in in that party who have been elected to the House get together and vote for this person should be designated as the Speaker of the House. And so they have a vote. Uh, and Interesting. it always, it, you know, by tradition, 
and yeah. by you know the fact of of history it's always a person oh. who is the leader of the party it's never somebody you can't have a speaker of the house who is from the losing party the party with the least number of members mm -hmm. uh, and so basically this drama has happened because this has been brewing for the last i would say 10 years so John Boehner became Speaker of the House uh, when the Republicans won in 2010, that 2010 mm -hmm. election. So he was Speaker for four years. Um, and then by 2014, there was another election where the Republicans won the Senate. And so now they won a huge majority in the House. They won a huge majority in the Senate. And in 2014, a lot of the uh, Tea Party Republicans, as they were known at the time, the conservatives, uh, you know, did not like John Boehner. They said he was too friendly with Barack Obama. He was too eager for a deal. He was too compromising. And so we need to vote out John Boehner. So by 2015, mid-2015, John Boehner had had enough. So John Boehner invites the Pope to the to speak in the U.S. Congress. Uh, and after that, he basically, in a press conference, uh, you know, tears up and says, this is my last, I'm retiring. This is my last you know, thing that I'm going to be doing. Um, and so once John Boehner uh, retired, his lieutenant, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who was the whip, uh, well, clearly it's his chance to move up in the ranks. But a lot of the conservative Republicans, the right wing Republicans said, no, we don't want another person who's too who's too mainstream. He's too compromising. He's too mm. too much of an establishment figure. We want mm. somebody that, you know, is going to be a real conservative. And so they uh, all ran to Paul Ryan and said, you have to run for speaker and we will vote for you for speaker. Um, mm. And so that's why that's how we got Paul Ryan as speaker. Um, then cut to three years later, uh, where Donald Trump is now president of the United States. And so all of these former Tea Party sort of like, you know, um, you know, economic issues kind of Republicans have now turned into hard right MAGA type uh, Republicans. They want to fight the culture war. They want to fight the border war. They want to fight all kinds of wars. Um, okay. And so now they uh, now Paul Ryan realizes that, you know, even he doesn't have the support. And so he decides to Goodness. retire. He yeah, he decides to retire in uh, after the 2018 uh, election was over where the Democrats won back the House. Um, <laughs> and so Kevin McCarthy had basically from 2015 to 2022, he had eight years to gain back the trust of these uh, right wing Republicans. Um, <laughs> but apparently he did not. And because in 2022, Republicans only gained, uh, I believe, 40. They only gained nine seats. In the house um, so they, mm -hmm. did, they did not have that huge majority in the house uh mm. kevin mccarthy did not have the advantage that john boehner did so when john boehner would get criticized by the right-wing republicans the tea party republicans he would say well there's so many republicans here they're all going to vote for me i don't need you in that sense so he was able to skirt by but kevin mccarthy because of there was no red wave this year he could not right. rely on this new cadre of republicans and so these guys who are the MAGA, MAGA wing Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, as they're called, uh, decided that they were going to, you know, run this rebellion, uh, you know, against him uh, and try to get some concessions out of him that, you mm -hmm. know, maybe he would uh, he would concede to a vote of no confidence just from one member. Maybe he would right. concede to putting these uh, you know, Freedom Caucus members on committee chairs or maybe even ranking chairs, things like mm -hmm. that. But ultimately, mm -hmm. it, it was inevitable that Kevin McCarthy would be. Would, would be the speaker like there was no way he was going to go away he knew he had the votes uh you know Correct. six people can hold up the business of the house but they definitely cannot you know overturn the the guy who was going to be speaker so it was all about what concessions do you need what concessions can he make how can he get these people to vote for him also and it was you know for me you had the lauren bobert matt gates all those people right holding up the thing now but one interesting thing is there was this visual of us i think what is it, Baji Taylor Green or someone had Donald Trump on the phone yes, and yes. people just looked away or something. So it's 
clearly that the concessions that were made were personal concessions not on the behalf of mr trump or so forth right so i think that is the difference we can be sure that that is happening that it's not that mr trump is ruling the roost it's that they themselves are have taken positions which they want fulfilled yeah i so i think this is another issue which is that you know mr trump wants to look like you know lalu prasad yadav i am king maker you know <laughs> He wants to be seen as, you know, somebody who can affect the party, who can affect the votes. Uh, but quite honestly, he he doesn't have a lot of say beyond the base, right? So, he, like I said, again, six people. It wasn't, you know, 100 Republicans. It wasn't 50 Republicans. It was at most six to seven Republicans who were, you know, basically saying that, you know, holding up the, the speaker uh, speaker's vote. Um, and so that's kind of the indicative of, of what's what's really happening here. Um, and again, uh, just to just to be clear, like this is politics. This is a this is a you know land of wolves. This is a bloody business. Uh, Kevin McCarthy can turn around and say, "I'm not going to concede anything." Once he's now that he's speaker, it's 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 mm. totally in his. You know, he's got the majority, so mm. it's totally in his. You know, uh, uh, decision up to him whether he wants to do that or not. Uh, but he and he also it must be it must be said, Kevin McCarthy spent. All of the Trump years being very friendly with Donald Trump, being very friendly with the base, trying to make sure that he could shore up that support. And yet at the end, those people still, you know, betrayed him and basically, you know, held up, held up this vote for for many, many, uh, you know, days. And so mm -hmm. that's not going to that's not going to be something that Kevin McCarthy is going to forget. Um, and act, right. honestly, quite honestly, that's not something that even the Republicans uh, who voted for Kevin McCarthy are going to forget. So this is, right. again, something to be said that that, yes, they have the ability to do this how how this plays out in the next two years like i said it's going to be a lot of infighting it's going to be a lot of backstabbing um and that's why i think we're headed for a defeat in 2024 this this is, does wow. not bode well it's not a civil war but it's close to that it's close to that but that but that's that's this is a big concession you're making so that the basically the democrats might just win in 2024 the only By reason default. they may lose just like the in the just like in the Kevin like, McCarthy, sorry, sorry, yeah, just like in the Kevin McCarthy election, right? This whole drama that's going on in the House floor, the Democrats are sitting back and going, "Yeah, you you want to, you know, you want these guys to run the country." So that's all they have to do for the next two years is just sit back and say, you know, shore up there, uh, you know, make some uh, look look good by doing nothing, basically. Um, and that's what's going to be happening for 2024. Joe Biden can just say, "Look at this mess. Look at these people. They can't even figure out what they who they want as their leader." Yeah, look at their life, look at their choices, sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, so okay, fascinating, uh, fascinating point. So let me move. This is a great pivot that I get, and we'll we'll go back to it uh, later. But let me go to Indian Americans in uh, American politics. Right? It's been a good year for Indian Americans in American politics. It doesn't matter where you because you. But but here is the uh, caveat that I would put. Right? How do you define? So now there are there have been Indian Americans who have been talking about issues that Indian American pertain to and there have been Indian Americans who when they are elected they completely forget that there is sort of a expectation that the community has because there's just so few of us that you know there is people going to and, and I'm not just saying Indian American citizens and stuff it's simple things like the Eagle Act right we talk yeah. about how um, H1 students over here who are uh, basically um, you know they're looking at 50 to 70 year wait times and stuff and I always say that uh, you know the 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 cold response to this is oh they are not voters right but then you have Latino Congress uh, Congress people, right? Talking about Latino issues, who you know, which pertain to family-based immigration and stuff, they are not—they are not voters as well. It's just empathetic. 
it's just a recognize recognition of that okay you know i represent a community and i have talked i've gone to the community to get me elected to get me votes to get me finances you know do i talk about the issues of the community so let, let me ask you two part question first is the latter happening are they talking and second uh, how do you view are is are they only are indian americans only coming at local levels or now are more and more coming at a national level as well I think the national level thing is yet to be seen beyond, you know, um, Vice President Kamala Harris. I mean, all full credit to her. She made that happen. However, she made that happen. Uh, but yeah, I think that there is a disconnect between the diaspora and the wider community. And that's really the this is the joke that every, you know, you will definitely laugh at. It. You know, if there's if there's an Agarwal community in D.C., then very soon there'll be two Agarwal communities. Right. If there's a Guju community, there'll be very soon two Guju communities or Bengal. And I've seen this. Right. So whenever Indian Americans get together or Indians get together, diaspora Indians, there's usually ends up being, you know, infighting <laughs> as speaking about infighting. There usually ends up being some kind of disunity. And so then, you know, it's the joke. It's like, you know, uh, the the what's the uh, a Jewish guy gets, you know, stranded on an island. And then when he's rescued, they see that he's built two synagogues and they go, why'd you build two? He goes, well, that's the one I go to. And that's the one I wouldn't be caught dead going inside. Right. So we have this sort of status chasing uh, that happens in our community a lot. And I think that's kind of holding us back because the, the unity that you see in other communities, there is, there is status chasing in other communities, but generally the unity you see in other communities does not translate well into the diaspora communities, apart from, like I said, certain, some, some small, small pockets may be there. So I think that's the first issue is that beyond the disconnect from the elites who are in politics versus the actual diaspora or the base uh, exists. And so that's the first disconnect. The second disconnect is, yeah, you have Indian Americans who come here, assimilate very well, um, and basically then choose to either be Republicans or Democrats. Uh, and then they, because they've assimilated so well, they leave behind the diaspora uh, until and unless there's a time to get votes. Then they come out. So Kamala Harris, great example. Uh, her campaign, she basically campaigned as a left-wing Democrat senator. Uh, uh, all the issues that she cared about were left-wing Democrat issues, mainstream issues. Um, she very much uh, portrayed herself as a, you know, um, as an African American mixed race uh, person. Uh, and then when it was time to get votes, when she was sort of faltering in the primaries, then she brought in Mindy Kaling to sort of show her. Uh, Africa, her Indian side roots, and make dosas. Yeah, and make dosas. Um, and yeah. and again, maybe you know, I've I've heard from people that she did actually when she was running in California for the state again local level, she was emphasizing her Indian roots. But the point is, it's it's indicative of how you know a lot That's, of Indian Americans behave. Yeah, because what I was saying, right? Like yes. they, somehow they get elected with Indic Indic roots and stuff, yes. and then suddenly forget, and now suddenly want to pander to every other community that isn't Indian American and forget. Right. And and you're like, Are ye to apne hai. so you know you can absolutely consider me. What? The so heck? that goes back to the status thing where. Uh, Wealthy yeah. Indian Americans who are donors, uh, rather than caring about, so other donors say, well, you know, these are the issues I'm, I care about. I have a foundation, I have a nonprofit, I have a charity, and so you know, I'm donating to this person because they care about these issues. They they go and have meetings. What happens on the Indian American side, most likely, and this is something I've seen for sure, is what we end up doing is, well, we just want our name out there, right? We want to be seen. Yeah. We want we want the selfie with Kamala, so we're gonna give money. Yeah. And we don't really care about the issues. Yeah, yeah, sure. She she sounds good. Just 
you know, they 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 don't care about the issues as much as as sort of other donors yeah, do. I, I agree. So my question is: there are so many Indo-American celebrities, chefs, food, food bloggers. So how many of them they talk about Black Lives Matter? They talk about and which is great, you know, yeah. they relate, they talk about issues excellent. You but how how many of them have talked about what the Indo-American, Indian American uh, people are facing? If there's a kid on age four, he stays in US for 20 years, they talk about dreamers and Dakar, right? But yeah. they don't yeah. they, the same people will not talk about this and i'm like this affects your own community right is your uh, a relation to your community just related towards uh, uh, butter chicken and naan or sorry chicken tikka masala as it's right. called in us <laughs> right uh, is is that the only relation that you have to your community so yeah i i mean so this is absolutely or naan bread i'm sorry not yeah naan bread or, or chai tea you know that's also chai tea latte yes yeah so right. i think this is something that we definitely as a community need to get, move beyond and i think i've written an yeah. op-ed on this as well that you know generally when we engage with the wider uh, american community it always ends up mm -hmm. being on these sort of very superficial cultural issues and then beyond that we don't really care to defend our community we don't really care to defend our own you know sense of being and self-worth and i think that's really really important is that you know doesn't matter uh doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter which indian community you're with you know mm -hmm. i think it's very important for that unity to happen and i think that's part of what i'm uh, i think my my argument is that i think we do need to see more indian americans blogging podcasting you know caring about you know uh things that that indians care about and then also on the donor side i think there do there does need to be a lot more political awareness and donors do need to get together and and you know form these packs and i think this is the this is the other part of the especially with the eagle act i think uh, a lot of indian americans by default tend to be democrats totally fine you know good for you go do that go vote go donate however mm -hmm. you want um, but I think right. as far as the diaspora issues and the community issues, I think there absolutely needs to be some level of bipartisanship. And I think that's really, really what's important right now is that uh, that bipartisanship usually does not happen. Usually people uh, you know, self-segregate into their communities um, mm -hmm. and then end up just voting for whichever side they want quietly. Um, and because that bipartisanship hasn't happened, things like the Eagle Act, things like you know the issues that Indians care about aren't happening. Um, mm. And, you know, even like I said, look at look at the politicians, you know, Ami Bera, Krishnamurti, Ro Khanna, they're good on some issues, but very, very easily they'll be swayed by, you know, the squad uh, by Ilhan Omar to vote for resolutions that, you know, end up hurting uh, India or end up making India look bad uh, in, mm. in, in, you know, these kind of resolutions and bills. So I think that's where mm -hmm. we do need to lobby these folks. We do need to tell these people, hey, you have a base, you have people who are, you know, standing behind you and are willing to, you know, affect your public image because we tend to be silent more than other communities on these issues. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, so, you know, I think uh, more than the local congressmen, more than the local Congress uh, folks and senators and stuff, I think where we need to uh, is if Indian industrialists are donating, if Indian tech, tech uh, folks are donating, we need to talk about it. Second, what I've seen the issue with Indian American communities is, you know, we take the color or the ideology of the state we are in. So you talk, I've talked to Indian Americans in California and they'll talk, they'll sound more like California Democrats than even Democrats will. Yeah. And they're like, oh, where do this? We're Bay Area, Silicon Valley. I'm like, 
okay calm down i was like five saal i was like five years ago you did i was like i know you five years <laughs> yes. ago i know where you were right yeah. so what is the what is the so what is the source of your belief i mean great if you've evolved right but if you don't have a coherent explanation you're only sounding this to sound in place right then that's that's an issue right why are you not talking about a lot of issues that you yourself were talking about five years ago right so um uh, you have pramila jaypal in seattle washington who is in near america she rarely talks about issues she'll talk about all these she'll talk about more issues in india and talk about journalists and activists in india than indian americans and what they are facing here and it's yeah. it's just unbelievable because like, she knows that'll get her press and and yeah, she knows that will get her attention from and, the people she needs to get attention from and that's absolutely. the point absolutely and to play devil's advocate weirdly enough she's the only congress person who's come out strongly for the eagle act by the way yeah. she's the she's yeah, the, because so well, that's the dichotomy <laughs> yeah and i think pramila jaypal i think she recently got in trouble <laughs> i think after uh, the elections maybe she got in trouble for criticizing democrats leadership and she had to walk it back there was a whole little bit of a drama mm-hmm. so that's the point is that these people are not immune to they're not immune to being lobbied and i think that's really the the case uh the case here um yeah. you know there let's be real there there's a pakistan lobby there's a middle yes. east lobby there's uh you know every kind of lobby that there's a china lobby right but i don't know if there's an india lobby i don't know if there are people you know what i mean like obviously the indian government you know connects with the us government and all that but i don't know if there's a soft power lobby like the way that other countries have yeah. uh, and i think that's really the important part is that once that that environment that ecosystem is created um that isn't and i think it it requires uh, uh both it requires people who are indian american who are you know in touch with the culture here and it requires people in the diaspora who will care a lot more about the diaspora issues here um and i think it requires a union of both sides uh and that's what's mm-hmm. not happening right now is that as yeah. you said the the people who come here assimilate so quickly and then their kids you know at at this point it's been 20 30 40 years their kids have grown up and they're so assimilated that yeah like there's i'm sure you've seen this indian kids in texas have texan accents kids in georgia no no georgia that's texas. not even a problem most of them are not aware of the issue so i right. uh, I, i and and i i joke with this i joke i've joked to this with this about my with my friends my wife all the time that when when where i get into trouble is i have to advocate about india to a lot of indian americans here and america yeah. to a lot of indians in india right and i get yeah. bashed from both sides yes, uh, yes. because um because uh, so, someone was talking about oh uh, the indian embassy is xyz and inefficient i was like do you know what indian citizens in us have to go through when it comes to visa when it yeah. comes to green card h1 and they're like no we have no idea our parents never told us <laughs> yeah. and and i don't blame yeah. them because ultimately there has to be an education there are no there are way so you know we uh, the voices in indian voices in if you want to write an op-ed in any leading paper right you can go and either bash the indian government on kashmir and then yep. you'll get a place yep. you'll you can write nonsense about how freedom of expression is threatened about india then you'll get a space Podcast. or you can write about yoga bollywood and everything you'll get if yeah. you want to talk about what the indian uh, 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 folks are facing here americans get space to write but indians don't get space to write if if there is someone an who an h1 who wants to write and and most of the people are so worried that so they write and then they end up writing anonymously right, right. so that's right. the unfortunate thing yeah the and the only answer to that is we have to create our own space and part of this yeah. is what we're doing is we're creating that space that that there's Absolutely. no nobody's going to give it to us nobody's going to afford it to us i certainly have no interest in writing for the new york times or the washington yeah. post and so i'm i'm happy to write create my own space i'm happy to create my own 
messaging. And I think this is why the cratering of media, the creation of these, you know, sort of citizen journalists, the fact mm. that you can have, you know, TikTok accounts or YouTube accounts or Twitter <laughs> accounts is, you know, that's really where you're going to be able to move and, the conversation. And citizen journalist is not Anang's clever way of pointing out the issue that we raised with immigrations. <laughs> yeah. But but no, so see, that that's unfortunately the thing. Uh, culturally, I think there is a huge change where Indian American culture now is a part of the mainstream culture. Uh, oh, yeah. You don't have stereotypical... I mean, you will have certain, you know, people saying certain things, but food is a part of it and stuff like that. But it has to be a multi-pronged effort, right? Yeah, it has to be. And and even the food thing is, is you know, what uh, what you see when when uh, white people talk about Indian culture. Uh, I, I certainly don't get offended if they go, oh, I love butter chicken or chicken tikka masala. But I think when when it's people who are sort of in the elite who, uh, again, the Pramila Jaipal level people, the people in Congress or people who sort of pretend to be activists and pretend to be, you know, a lot more informed and enlightened. And all they can talk about when it comes to India is just, you know, basic stuff, Modi, this, that and the other thing that has not, no relationship uh, and that's where that's where my sort of anger and frustration comes out, because it's clear they have no understanding of Indian culture, the Indian diaspora or even how Indian society works. Uh, and so and and this is the 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 blindness that happens on both sides. Right. Uh, um, what is it? I think somebody mentioned this, uh, that uh, liberals in India, the left wing sort of elite liberals in India use terms mm. that are very clearly American, right? So one term that I've heard is founding fathers, which is like, there's no founding <laughs> fathers in India, okay? We were not founded. We were already there. So that that term I've seen... These days, by... though, these days too, I have heard people not on the left also say stuff like Jesus. On yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, kar rahe ho, yeah, man? it's in my vocabulary I like, also. So, but I, I no, know no, what you But mean. you stay here. I this stay is here, the, yeah, yeah. The, I'm, I'm yeah. talking about people very much in the heart of Delhi and Bombay yeah. who have used this. Yes, that people in Delhi and Bombay who watch Netflix, who watch Amazon, who are only, huh. you know, only watch American TV, English TV. Um, yeah. Huh. And then they behave like Americans and their their mindset then is in that dichotomy, the binary of the Republican Democrat yeah. binary. Uh, and that's the problem in, in, in America as well, is that people who are activists or even just normal politically minded people look at, oh, mm. well, Modi, clearly Modi is like a Trump uh, or clearly mm. this person is like this. And it's like has no bearing. And so I think that's the first sort of um, hurdle that has to be cleared, that first level of misinformation that has to be cleared uh, that, okay. that, you know, you can't just compare everything to American politics. <laughs> no, and, and you can't and you won't be able to. Right. Like, no, it's, it's the. <clears throat> the reality is more complicated than what you give credence to and how do you how do you deal with it but what i am convinced of one thing is that in the long term scenario of what we talk about you know uh, our field the ideological battle this that um there are some very short-term solutions that Indian Americans have to look and uh, what you said, you know, the rise of people like Raja Krishnamurti, Ami Bera, like, you know, across the political spectrum, people from, I think, Nida Jantani in uh, Ohio as well yes. uh, at a local level. So, I mean, across Republicans, and uh, you, uh, you have that, uh, you have that voice that is coming um in i stay in a district that is uh, dominated that is the texas 22nd is has a lot of republican uh, sorry not republican it's a republican district with a lot of indian american population and indian americans have tried to fight on democrat side and the indian vote has shifted towards the republican side so it's not like they are only voting for an indian face there you yes. need someone to talk the the republican party has 
locally talk to Indian Americans on, on their issues and they have voted, right? So how does that split happen? I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, but it, it's a long, it's a long battle. Battle. Yeah. Yeah. That lobbying has to be done not just with the Indian community. It has to be done with the uh, American politicians as well. And it's a great example, Senator John Cornyn, who I know very well. He's very receptive to Indian American issues. He, when he campaigns, he has a website in Hindi, and I think other languages as well. And so he's a, a good example of that successful. You know, he he knows there's a huge Indian constituency in Texas, so he talks to the community. He talks to people here. He may not always vote how people want, but he absolutely is receptive to to the to the efforts that people have made in in Texas on Indians' behalf, on the community's behalf. And I think that's really the important part is that. You, you do have to make that effort. You know, if they don't know you're out there, they're not going to care that much. Right. So it, mm. and I think Eagle Act is, is a good example, even though it failed. You know, it mm. was very obvious people were calling congressmen. They were calling their representatives. They were calling, uh, you know, tweeting about it and things like that. And I think that's really what's important. That's the first step that's that's needed. Uh, but mm. that has there has to be a continued effort that and that effort has to, like I said, uh, be made with dollars has to be made with phone calls, with accounts, with all kinds of raising awareness and uh, and engagement with the American political community as well. Absolutely, fascinating point, Sarang. I think uh, it's a good point to start wrapping up on. Uh, I think you you raised important point. Uh, sequel uh, maybe after we will definitely. I think uh, Anang, we should do this a. Uh, make this a regular feature that especially when it comes to elections and stuff absolutely you and I get together and do a before and after podcast for sure for uh, American elections but then about, apart from this we'll do a regular feature on the Indian American community their political outreach and what is changing I can guarantee you with 2024 being a national election year presidential election year there is a lot of moving and shaking that's going to happen post october and november uh the all roads would lead to iowa and new hampshire exactly one year from now and yeah. uh, exactly and one year from now and gujarat <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah because uh my god yeah we, we we'll we'll have the indian election campaign national election campaign kicking off as well so it's an, going to be a very interesting 18 months 24 month period for people like us you know podcasters talkers and stuff but we'll be here talking about it all but be, before we come before we go i think we have this tradition on mind podcast as you know of, of giving recommendations non-political uh, uh uh but things you've watched read seen anything uh uh, could be streaming shows, movies, books. So, any recommendations you have for our uh, uh, listeners? Well, this, having this having just gone to Vilayat for the first time, I went to London for the first time <clears> this <throat> past Thanksgiving. Um, so, my recommendation would be: I'm currently reading um, this uh, book called Six Wives, which is about the six wives of Henry VIII. And there's actually now a musical called Six. So, if you're into musicals, you can look the look up the album on YouTube. It's called Six, um, and it's apparently also playing on Broadway. Uh, or off-Broadway, probably, in, in New York City. So I think that's a good recommendation. Um, and I think the best movie of last year that I've seen, um, I mean, apart from, you know, the usual Batman and those kind of things, yeah. uh, I would say uh, the movie called Tar, T-A-R, with, um, uh, with not, uh, what's her name, Kate Blanchett, uh, playing a, a, an orchestra conductor who sort of slowly loses grip with reality and with her own self. Um, and it's it's a it's one of those very actory movies, uh, but I would say it's better than most of those kind of actory movies where nothing really happens and you're like uh, It's 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 a it's from it's made by a protege of San, Stanley Kubrick, so it's a very Kubrickian film, 
of you know a person dealing with the massive issues in their own life and how it's unraveled so i think it's a, probably the best movie of last year oh ex- excellent recommendations i go the other way completely the other way i uh, saw uh, a netflix documentary called mumbai mafia police versus the underworld oh, okay. about the encounter which just released two days ago yeah. um, i'm almost done with it but uh, close enough to where i can recommend people to watch it because i had you know i forget how let less people have known about this menace that happened right this was 25 30 years ago uh, only for movies people, and i remember what the tcs yeah, guy being and, uh, assassinated and, and, the, and all that exactly yeah. the yeah. you know you had him you had i think mukesh duggal the guy who made uh, movie gopi kishan he was assassinated yes, yes. um Rakesh Roshan was a, Rajiv Rai, the guy who made Mohra Gupt. He was yes, attacked and yes. he went to London and never came back, uh, or only came back a few years ago. So th- there are various situations. Rithik Roshan too. I think. I mean, Pretty Zinta was threatened. Uh, you can and movies, Bollywood. You know, आजकल Bollywood की बात हो रही. You have to see how bad it was in the nineties with the <laughs> underworld ruling the roast and the filmfare awards and how they were, you know, uh, loaded one way. So. Um, I would recommend watching it and then watching. See these gangster movies over glorify gangsters and stuff because they have to have one-liners on them. Uh, but it wasn't as easy as people. I have had people, families in Bombay who have told me what they had to go through, where they would get threatening calls and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Packet. Yeah. Kar do. Yeah. Kar do. Wo kar do. And watch it. it it's, it's it's deeply. It hits you in a very different way when you have thought this way. So. <laughs> watch it and then read about it and uh, that what really was it s hosen zaidi has written a wonderful book called black friday so i would recommend watching that and then reading black friday about the bombay blast and then watching anurag kashyap's movie the black friday uh, where right. kk meron has given a fabulous him and pavan malhotra fabulous performance um on it again there are a lot of lessons to be learned not a, i don't agree with everything that's said in the book i don't agree with everything that's shown in the movie but that's what the movies and books are about right if you agree with everything they're said that you're not going to have discussions about it absolutely so those would be my recommendations but apart from that i mean thank you anang for joining me on thank my podcast thank you for having me i, I appreciate brilliant. it yeah. and uh, we will be doing one very soon guys we'll be back uh, please write to us uh, questions comments thoughts uh, any uh, annoyances that you have grievances that you have with us topics we didn't cover write to us please follow anang on all the social media network we'll tag him on uh, and post his twitter handle as well so please uh, follow him there and uh, subscribe to his channel as well till then uh, we'll be back next week with more on mind makers uh, it's goodbye from both of us thank you thank you